yes, and you cannot do that. I love the comment you made up was last week, a couple weeks ago, about that. It will be paired. Um, oh, I forget what it was called, but they're arguing in the locker room, and it starts getting loud, and one here oh. says, uh, I'm leaving. This is, you know, this is not good. Yeah. Wait a minute. I think I'm just getting started. You think we're, you know. Yeah, that's the difference between us. Yeah. You know, you think we're fighting. I think we're finally talking. Yeah, Jerry Maguire. Huh. It says um, reading response exercise, complete assigned reading summary exercise. What, what are those? Uh, I, probably right there in the part of the syllabus that you skipped over. Where? So back up. Yeah, show me the. So where it says major assignments? Uh, yeah. Like I want to know which kind of which report exactly. Well, what, whichever. All right, we. I'll I'll look at it with you in a second. Or right. after class. Good morning. Yeah. Good morning. Professor. Who uh, who would like to open us up in prayer? Go ahead, James. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this morning. Thank you for this day and the week that you set aside so that we can refocus and realign ourselves with you and your word. I ask for your blessing on this time as Dustin leads us, Dustin and David lead us in discussion and teaching. I ask that we will all be further equipped your will and your And may we be drawn near to you study and our learning about may, may our learning about how to defend your word give us a better understanding of your word. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you brother. Alright, there is a uh, sign-in sheet somewhere right here. Uh, James, you want to kick that off? And then um, same rules, you know, if you've already given your contact info, obviously don't include that, but if you've never signed in before, which I don't think that applies to anybody here, uh, please do include that. All right. Um, somebody take our um, our theme verse, and then somebody else uh, and read it, and then somebody else read our theme quote. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to defend to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. All right. And then uh, Kukul's quote. You got a question? You can pass around. Sorry. You want the uh, you want the updated syllabus or the uh, the handout for today or both? Sure, Give her everything and let her decide what she wants. Yeah. <laughs> thank you, thank you. Um. Christianity is a reasonable and rational worldview that resonates with our deepest intuitions about reality when understood in its proper Thank you, sir. Um, before we jump into the review, anybody got anything to share from the field? Um, you had any uh, any opportunities to uh, share your faith, or anybody hit you with a question, or just anything at all? Yeah, yeah James, what happened? I had an opportunity on with Wednesday night volleyball to pick up a young man and bring him there and bring him back. Believes in God, but isn't ready to commit, which is just great. I think great ground for you have this common ground of you say you believe in God. What does that mean? Um, not a lot of it, it's been. It was mainly me just sharing the gospel, mm -hmm. and asking some of those questions like, at what cost are you not committing now? 
Um, but the start started that. The biggest tactic was just talking about bringing up something else random. I'm like, no, no, this is important. Sure. Know? But um, yeah, so not not so much going through some of this stuff yet. I'm trying to ask questions to get them to think. No, but that's, more than any, thank you, brother, more than anything, you're establishing the relationship. I mean, uh, which takes time, and it's it's a very delicate balance if you, you know, that old old saying that fools rush in, but, you know, again, you never want to discount the God card. If, if the Spirit's prompting you to speak or say, then speak or say, but at the same time, you know, developing that relationship and creating those opportunities, um, so anyhow, congratulations. But so he's not opposed. He's not closed off to God. Just is it is it Christianity specifically, or is it just what he has shared? Has he given any insight to what his hangups are? Not yet. No. Just well, I think he realizes it's a commitment. It's going to change my life. It's going to take time. It's going to cost him something. It's going to cost him something. And right now he needs to graduate. He, needs, he wants to focus on getting into a varsity soccer team. I'm like, dude. Those aren't going to matter in five years, much less determined. So it's, it's just not real interest right now. There's probably a God, but I'm busy. Yeah, which is better than you're directly aggressive. Right, yeah. But Utterly just, opposed. Just as lost. Yeah. Uh, anybody else have anything to share? Um, it wasn't me, but it was my brother. Uh, a few days ago, our friend came over, and it, it seemed like he was interested in becoming a Christian. How come? Because he was asking about how you pray, pray, and what you need to do to be saved. And was were you there for that? Yeah. Yeah. How did uh, how did Blaze do? Did Blaze share any truth with him? Um, I'm not sure exactly what happened because I came in like halfway through. So, yeah, my mom was there too. But when you came in, you recognized what was happening? Yeah. Yeah, the best thing to do is just start praying for whoever's in the driver's seat of that conversation. But uh, I, had a, uh, I had an opportunity to, to share. It was with a, um, a client I was sitting down with. And um, it started off on politics. And we, we both acknowledged how we were probably on opposite ends of the spectrum. Um, which I, I have noticed around here, it's... it's um, when somebody asks your political views, that can be a loaded, dangerous question. Um, I've learned that as a financial advisor, my, my best approach or response is, uh, well, I'm, I'm definitely fiscally conservative. Um, and what I've learned is even the most liberal of folks want their advisor to be fiscally conservative. So that, uh, that, that's, a, uh, that's a good answer, but they, you know, they, I'm fairly outspoken, and they, they know me. So anyways, we, we acknowledge our differences, but we, we press into a couple of issues. And um, ultimately, you know, just looking for that common ground, because I kept assuring her that, um, uh, you know, we probably agree on more than we, we disagree. Um, and, and eventually, it got around to uh, religion. And I had, I had gotten a sense from her that she was open to the discussion. But uh, she didn't state this explicitly. I just, you know, reading between the lines, I, I got the sense that her feel was, um, or her guard, I don't know the way to say that, but, you know, I'm open to discussing it, but don't you try to proselytize me, you know? And, and, and that was kind of the, the temperature. So I just kept explaining things from a Christian worldview perspective and, and helping her. She would say some things or quote a Bible verse and, 
you know, she was kind of struggling, and, and I'd say, well, I'm not sure that that's exactly the view. It might be something more like this within, you know, within that worldview, etc. So, tried to keep any you're, you're wrong for thinking that way kind of out of it, which is a, a decent approach always, but it was extra sensitive is my point. Anyways, at, at some point she goes, what does that even mean? And I kind of panicked because like just when you said a second ago before class started, you were like, oh, you said something last week. And I immediately, I just, I'm like, oh. you know, because I'm, I'm, I could have said anything. I don't know what, I, what's the what? What did I say, Julie? You know, like who was around? Who all heard it? Well, it's yeah, yeah. <laughs> anyway, so I'm, I'm, I immediately, I freeze up. And I'm like, oh, what did I just say? What did I, you know, and. Anyway, she goes, that, that Jesus died for us. What does that even mean? My sister used to say that all the time. And I'm like, oh, because I've been praying the whole time. Like where, you know, I gently press on a door. It doesn't open. You gently press on another door. It doesn't open. You check a window. It's locked. And you're like, all right, I'm either going to have to get out the crowbar or just walk away from the conversation. But I kept praying for the opening, kept praying for the opening. And then she gave it to me. <laughs> And um, I said, oh, I would, I would love to answer that question for you, but um, it may take me a little bit. Would you, you know, would you allow that? Would you permit me to do that? And she's like, sure. So then I took about 10, 15 minutes to like, thoroughly lay out the gospel. And um, never, you know, I never said, hey, you're, uh, you know, you're, you're going to hell and da-da-da-da-da, but just here's what we believe and why we believe it and she was totally good with there's definitely something wrong with the world and obviously all religions don't approach it the same and she had her own religion that she had created she had stole a little bit from Christianity some of it misguided she had stole some from Buddhism she had sold, stole some from uh, from Judaism something she just flat out made up I think um, but she it was hers it was hers and it mattered to her and you ought not attempt to change the way she thinks. So anyways, I didn't. I just shared the gospel. And she was so thankful afterwards and, and just said she had never understood that, um, that it explained so much. And um, anyways, I was like, okay, well, let's look at your accounts. Um, because that was, that was probably... We were in that room together for two hours and 37 minutes, and we probably only worked on her accounts for 20 minutes. Um, so anyways, it was, it was great. You know, I didn't, um, you know, she didn't just give her life to the Lord right then, but um, it, was, um, it was a fruitful interaction, and, and I was blessed to participate. So anyways, there's, there's a story for me for the week. All right. Could I ask, yeah. where did you start when you presented the gospel? Did you start with Adam and Eve? Um, I don't know that I started there, but I tied that in. So I started with, with Jesus, and I, I acknowledged that there's a lot of weirdness in some of the churchy phrases and things we use, such as being covered in the blood, you know, and I, I just tried to sympathize with her, and I, I said, hey, I, I can understand a non-Christian walking into a church sometimes, that must sound weird, you know, like being covered in the blood and, you know, some of these phrases that we so casually use. And it's like, are you guys okay? You need a therapist, you know? Um, and, and anyway, so it ultimately made the point that he's our, he's our, our 
innocent substitutionary, perfect innocent substitutionary sacrifice, but that that's not a new idea or a new system unique to, say, Christianity or the New Testament or anything like that, and then wound up tying it back into Adam and Eve and just saying, helping understand that when they covered themselves with leaves and whatnot, that that was their works, that was their effort, and, and God said, no, that won't do, and clothed them in animal skins. So, if he clothed them in the skins, the animals had to die. So from the very first two human beings on the planet, reconciliation between us and God through the shed blood of an innocent sacrifice has been the system. And then we can see it repeated, repeated, repeated. And then we've got the cross and now there's no more because he was the perfect. Anyway, so that was, I didn't start there, but I definitely touched on it. Um, but I don't, you know, I don't know that I have one set linear way. I'm always kind of just surfing based on what I've picked up are sticking points from that that person but she um, her personality she 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 needed to see that consistency that that it isn't just new ideas being invented randomly you know but but there's a there's rhyme and reason there's method to the to the madness so to speak does that answer the question um, Alright, so last week, dealing with a steamroller, what's our, what's our three steps? Stop them, shame them, leave them. Stop them, shame them, leave them. Alright, so step one, somebody give us a brief summary on what it is, you know, to, to, to stop them. What's that mean? What are, we, what are we saying? Other than literally what we're saying, but somebody expound upon that. Personality, there you go. Um, and and tends to overtalk. Maybe at some point, whether you put your hand up or say "excuse me" or um, um, some way stop the steamroller by saying, That's right. uh, asking a question. I'm not sure what you're saying. Let me ask you this. Or um, <clears throat> I've given you time to talk. Can I respond to that? Uh, let me respond to that first question. Or you've given me a lot. Of whatever. Whatever tactic applies to how they're steamrolling you, um, a lot of times it's just a matter of saying, um, I would like some kind of response. Right. Yeah, so the idea is, it, you know, when we say stop them, it's because you're being overwhelmed, either by facts or the force of their personality, and you're saying, hold on, time out. Right? We're not necessarily playing fair right now, so stop them. And one of the tips that we talked about is just being careful not to use sarcasm or letting annoyance or, or any kind of hostility creep into your voice. You don't, especially if it's an aggressive personality type, you, you're not looking to escalate the situation. So, uh, but, it, but it is okay to say, hold on now. Uh, all right, so step two, shame them. Somebody give us a, a expound upon that real quick. Well, step two is really a re reiteration of step one, so go ahead. I think it's fair to say, you know, I'm, hold on just a second. I've, I've, I've listened to yours. Are you willing? Do you want to hear mine? Ask them. If they say no, just say, okay. Well, what are we even doing? You're asking me questions and you're telling me yeah. out loud you don't even want the answer. What was that back there? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you from the peanut yeah, gallery. Yeah, they don't want to listen to your point of view. Kick the dust off your feet. Yes. Yeah. 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 Save yourself a half hour. Yeah. Or two hours and 27 minutes. Where, you know. Right. Good. In the, in the book you talked about, it's fine to listen. 
So it's fine to just say, if you're not interested in actually hearing my answers, that's fine. If you just want to, if you just want to tell me, that's fine. I'll listen. And I think that that's a, a good response in most cases. Obviously, time might not permit you to listen for as long as this person wants to rant about Christianity. But having that gracious attitude of, if you want to tell me what your concerns are and you don't want me to say anything, I'll listen. Yeah, it's a it's a slightly enhanced version of step one. You're you're a little bit more directly, you know, calling them out. You're confronting the person, uh, but but you're trying to you know when we say shame them, it doesn't mean not in a loving manner or with gentleness or respect. Uh, of course, you you. you you're always wanting to, to, to treat them in a, in a loving manner, uh, but you can also shame them lovingly. You're, you're basically acknowledging that there are certain ground rules and you're just totally ignoring them. And either we're, ha we're trying to have a conversation or we're not. Either one of those is fine. And, and we were joking last week about, you know, husbands and wives sometimes. Like, if, if the wives could just tell the husband up front what, what this stream of consciousness is about. Is it about you just sharing and I'm just supposed to listen? Or is this a problem that we're trying to address and fix? Because, again, we typically just, we think, well, if we're discussing it, then it's a problem that needs fixed. And a lot of times that just is not the case. We're just supposed to listen, which is fine. Just remind us of that up front, you know, and then we can get into listening mode, right? So anyways, when you're, when you're directly confronting them, go ahead, Mike. Well, I just wanted to say that I have a cousin that is a Mormon, mm. and uh, we had been separated and we got together and we were working together and we had a chance to, to share. Okay. And, and so I, I asked him, because this was a relatively new thing at the time for him to become a Mormon. Oh, okay. And he really wanted to share his testimony. Sure. Because Mormons have a testimony too. He experienced the burning in his bosom. Yeah. And so, but I, I did not want him to get off scot-free. I mean, I wasn't just going to let him share whatever he wanted to share, but I challenged him. So where did, where did you get this from? How do you know this is truth? Why is it you would believe that when you were raised this and you believe the Bible before you believe the book of Bible. I heard, don't lose your thought. What's don't lose your thought? What's Mike doing right there? He well, he's drawing a distinction between subjective truth and objective truth. Right? Do y'all recognize that? Keep going, Mike. Well, I just wanted to say that that part of shaming him is to make him stop and to think about what it is that he he is sharing. Is it really true? And I can't change his way of thinking, but I can pray for him and I can challenge it. And I, I can trust God to be at work when I'm not around. Amen. And that's what we have to leave. We can only do what we can do. Amen. All right, so one of the tips was there. Sorry, one of the tips uh, on step two was just, um, you know, if things are getting a little tense, uh, using somebody's name. You know, in a, in a, you know, people's name is, is sweet to them. So using their name in a friendly manner sometimes can help take the edge off your, your direct confrontation. All right, so step three, leave them. That one's pretty simple. Somebody explain that one to us. Walk away. 
walk away, right? But, you know, one of the, um, it, w wisdom encourages discernment. So, you know, be generous with the truth unless someone is expressing just absolute contempt, at which point it's fine to walk away. Uh, you know, don't cast your, your, pearl before, your pearls before swine. They'll, they'll turn on you, they'll, they'll, they'll trample the pearls and, and then turn and tear you to shreds. So, um, but if, if you've made that decision, like, you know what, this, this person isn't serious, they're not intellectually honest, they're not really wanting to have this conversation, they're just wanting an audience so they can, you know, they can pop off to. So if you choose to bow out, uh, it's a nice touch to just let them have the last word. Just, okay, alright. Appreciate you sharing how you feel. Yep, that's right. So, okay, so now today, Rhodes Scholar. But before we before we dive too deep into Rhodes Scholar, let's do a uh, a quick review of Chapter Five, assuming that everyone has been reading the um, uh, the chapters. Uh, there's a fresh syllabus out uh, today, week seven. The um, again, the stuff doesn't have to be turned into the end, but if you're just trying to pace it, uh, the the next reading response. Um, uh, assignment uh, it was due today or suggested that you be that far along as of today. So anyways, back to chapter 5. What's an argument? And, and if you want to describe it as he describes it in the book, that's fine. That's what my notes are kind of built around. But um, what is an argument? It's a coherent series of reasons, statements, or facts intended to support or establish a point of view. That's one, that's one of Webster's. Another is a reason given for, for or against a matter under discussion. It's a form of rhetorical expression intended to convince or, pers or persuade. So um, there was a particular uh, word that we learned last week, ad hominem. What, what does ad hominem mean? What is it? Against the man. Against the man. It's an attack against the per person, irrespective of whatever the, the, the reasons or the argument might be, right? So ad hominem is not an argument. Calling somebody a name is, is not an argument. An argument is, 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 is reasons given for or against the, the matter under review or, or under consideration or, or being discussed. Um, it's, a, it's a specific kind of, of thing. Um, and, and what the way Greg frames it, no pun intended, I guess, is uh, he just calls it a simple house, right? An argument is a simple house. Simple houses have walls and roofs. That's the framing joke. Anyways, I'm not much of a contractor, but even I got that one. Um, <laughs> not much of a contractor at all. Trey's more of a contractor than I am. Um, an argument's a specific kind of thing. Think of an argument as a simple house, uh, just a roof supported by walls. The roof is the conclusion, and the walls are the supporting ideas. So if our goal is to see how well constructed an argument is, what part of the structure do we want to test, and, and how come? Why? Well, all right. We'll go at it. Go out of James's way. If you if you can say the conclusion is is faulty, you know, like uh, taking it to its logical end, at absurdum or, or something like that. You know, take it to its end. Take the roof off. If you can take the roof off, that means it's not nailed to the walls, which means the walls aren't doing what they should be doing. Okay, but when you say you take the roof off, it implies up. So, may or may not have any bearing to the, to the wall. So, I, I like the way you're thinking, sometimes the roof isn't attached to the walls. Um, I, I don't have a problem with that. That's good. Would anybody articulate it a different way? 
Right. That's that's what we're going for. If if the wall, it's the walls because they're supporting the idea or the the conclusion. So that the roof, the the walls hold the roof up. So by testing the walls, we can see whether they're strong enough to to keep that roof from crashing down or or not. And a lot of times. Um, it's convenient or efficient for people to just skip the tedious task of constructing the walls um, and they just want to build their roof right on the ground. Doesn't necessarily mean that their conclusion is wrong, but they haven't, they haven't given us any, any, any walls. So what is for us to consider or, or to test? They've, just, they've basically just made an assertion. So what's the difference between an argument and an assertion? facts to back it up would make it a argument right so an assertion is just a declaration this such and such is true all right well maybe it is and and, and maybe it's not it just it just states a point of view so I, I think it is important for us to, to to note that you know we shouldn't discard all assertions as opinions just because it was asserted right um, but we, we do want to distinguish assertions from arguments because those are two different things. Um, so there may be an, an assertion and um, it might be accurate, right? It, so don't disqualify something just because it's asserted, but recognize that there's been an assertion and not necessarily an argument. Um, you you want to make that, that distinction. So an argument, a coherent series of reasons, statements, or facts intended to support or establish a point of view. An argument adds supporting reasons for why someone should take the point seriously. Okay, you're saying it. Why should I consider that? Why should I entertain this idea? Um, what are the walls that hold this idea up? The reasons then become the topic of the conversation or, or the mutual discussion. The, the analysis that you're wanting to engage in is about the walls. It's not about the roof. It's not about the conclusion. It's about the reasons that, that hold that conclusion up. So opinions aren't proof and intelligent belief requires justification. So as apologists, we have to always require our, our audience to articulate why they hold the view they do. Like when, when I was uh, engaging with um, this gal, she's, I say gal, I mean, I don't, I, you know, I don't know what that communicates in terms of age, but she, she was in her early 60s. Um, she, I don't want to say refused, that really wouldn't be fair, but would not directly respond to this distinction between subjective and objective truth. Because she could see around the corner. She could see if I concede that, everything that I'm arguing kind of crumbles because I would ask the questions like Mike was asking. Well, well, that's fine. I understand what you're saying you believe. I'm asking you why you believe that. Where do you get that from? And she was like, well, just because it's what I believe. And it's like, okay, fine. That's your subjective truth. Now tell me outside of yourself, why do you believe that? She would not play on no, well maybe uh, but she would not play on any of that equipment on the playground that was that was off limits she wasn't going there so it, it's it's essentially impossible to have a, a meaningful discussion if there aren't any reasons on the table that's the point so what Mike was doing that was a beautiful example what Mike was doing was drawing out some of these reasons so that we have something to talk about you've, you've told us why you believe what you believe or I mean what you believe great 
Now Mike took the, took the position of the skeptic. Okay, well if that's what you believe, I have some questions. That's what people do to Christians. That's what, you know, atheists and skeptics and agnostics. Oh, okay, yeah, I heard you. I, you know, I know about that Jesus stuff that you guys, you know, think to be the only way or whatever. But what about this? And what about that? Et cetera, et cetera. So there, that's where apologetics comes in. It isn't evangelism. It isn't exclusively just sharing, you know, the gospel message every time. But it's, it's helping people address some of these intellectual stumbling blocks that they might have to why should I embrace this as, as truth, you know? What about this? What about that? Um, and, and there are actually good answers to that. So, assessing the academics. Um, here's where, is that on? Uh, if I just plug in here. Has anybody... Uh, has anybody ever seen these things in the, uh, in the grocery store? I love them. PowerPoints? No. <laughs> see here. Did it open? It did. There we go. Yeah. Is God dead? Uh, there we go. Yeah, is God dead? Um, I can't read that one. Uh, Rethinking the Resurrection. There you go. Rethinking the Resurrection. The Lost Gospels. The Lost Gospels. Mm -hmm. the, Bible. the Bible. So misunderstood it's a sin. And that's an accusation at Christians. They, they so misunderstand their own Bible, it's sinful. Right? Um, how do these things make you feel? <laughs> so everybody's seen these, right? Yeah. Yeah? How do you, how do you feel? What's, what happens inside of you when you see that stuff? You start writing a letter to the editor. <laughs> we got some things to discuss. Just dismiss it? Yeah. Oh, does anybody ever open them and read them? Oh, you bet. I used to. I don't anymore. Now they're kind of like my news feed. It's like, mm, yeah, no, nah, I'll just pass. Because I, I, I'm the idiot that will, you know, I'm not on social media because it's not because I'm, I'm literally too cool. I, I think I would enjoy social media just as much as everybody else. No, I'm too stupid. I am the idiot that will be on social media at 3 in the morning arguing with the internet. Like as though I'm going to actually convince anybody of anything and, and they could care less. They put out some little tweet or some TikTok or whatever and I'm like, oh, huh, well. And they're like, man, I thought about that for 30 seconds, posted it, and kept moving. You know, like, um, anyways, I, I'll take the bait. I'm, um, I'm, I'm not very good. So same thing when I, when I see those articles, it, I do. I want to write a dissertation on, on why that's not so. And it's like, eh, I should probably just use that time to play Legos with my kids. Um, but it does, it does make me feel some kind of, some kind of way. And, and it, it can cause... It can cause Christians or, or faithful people to, to doubt, right? That's what it's really doing, is it's sowing seeds of, of, of doubt. And, and it does so by implying that, um, well, you foolish Christians, you just don't have all the facts. You know, there's some things that your pastor doesn't want you to hear. That's, I think Greg touches on that, you know, kind of that sort of approach. Um, and, and if we're intellectually honest Christians... Uh, and, and we're claiming to have the truth, and we're claiming that objectively, well, that is problematic for us. Wait, I don't want to, I'm not trying to leave information out. So if you're saying there's facts that exist and I don't have them that might change, therefore, my walls and, and perhaps the roof that I choose to put on the house, um, 
I want to know about that, right? I, I, I'm interested in truth. Truth is reality. So I want to know the way things really are. Um, and and I, need, I need all the info so that I can, I can decide what kind of roof should, should be on this house. I, I want to be very intimate and familiar with, with the walls of, of my own home. Um, so the Rhodes Scholar tactic, our tactic for today, it, it touches on this. What happens when somebody says, well, you didn't read this scientific review, or you didn't listen to this particular scientist, or this PhD said this thing that kind of undermines the point you're trying to make. Uh, has anybody ever had this kind of thing used against them? An, uh, some sort of appeal to authority? Yeah? What, what happened to you on one you can remember? Yeah, well, the, uh, the whole idea is, is they don't want to believe what I want to share with them. And so they throw off objections, saying you can always find somebody a hog disagrees with what I say. Right. I mean, he's right. Uh, but uh, people want to justify themselves, and so they will always throw up objections. Yeah. And uh, they will do their best. Satan is very good at challenging us and asking, oh, is, is that really true? That's, that's what mm -hmm. he responds to Eve. Same is old. That really true. Same old question. He gets. He's gotten so much mileage out of that one question. Did God really and, say? And that's exactly what that image was. That's right. There, that, that you showed on the on the TV. That's they're it. challenging us, but they don't want to hear an answer. Uh huh. They, they're just throwing it out to justify themselves. That's right. But th those were all glossy notions of Genesis three. Go ahead, guy. Um. Again, with my friend, she. I tried to show him the Bible, and he said he didn't want to listen to it. And I asked him, why don't you want to believe in Jesus? And he said, the reason I don't want to believe is because there's so many scientists who have proven us wrong. Mm, okay. And he said he doesn't want to believe in the Bible because it's just a dude reading a book. Okay, all right. So that's that's an interesting... There was a couple of twists there, but but... Say, say that last part about, or when he answered, because he did give you an answer, why he doesn't want to believe. And what was that answer again? He doesn't, he doesn't want to believe because he thinks it's just a dude reading the book. Yeah, but about the scientists right before that. Oh, he said a bunch of scientists have proven us wrong. A bunch of scientists have proven us wrong. So he appealed to authority, right? Okay. What did he do really, though? Did he make an argument or did he, did he give an assertion? an assertion? He just asserted something. So you could have said, what scientists and what have they proven? And then just back up. That's when you grab your popcorn, right? You just, oh. yeah, what scientists? What have they disproven? Because chances are that's something that they've heard somewhere, but that they haven't given serious review or, or thought to. Maybe they have, at which point they should be able to offer that up and you can keep the conversation moving. But at the, you know, conversely, you can just kind of expose the error in their thinking rather efficiently. Um, so anyways, he made an assertion. Alright, so the Rhodes Scholar tactic, that's, that's what this tactic is about. This tactic provides a way of addressing whether an appeal to authority is legitimate or not. So what is an appeal to authority? We've been kicking it around. Can, can anybody kind of articulate it uh, succinctly? I don't, I don't know this fact. I have not spent time studying this fact, but I trust this person who has. Yeah. And he said this. Yeah. It's a form of, uh, I'm sorry, go ahead, Dale. It's name dropping. <laughs> Sometimes it is just name dropping, isn't it? Uh, it? It's a form of argument in which the opinion of an authority on a topic is used as evidence 
to support an argument. And I want you to hear that. When, when an opinion is used as evidence, right? And that, that can slide in real slick and easy. Um, so be on, be on guard against that. Um, you know, uh, we see it all the time in culture. I, I, a couple of examples. Uh, this brand makes the best, best toothpaste because four out of five doctors recommend it. Right? Or, or this basketball shoe is of superior quality, otherwise this particular athlete wouldn't wear it. Like we're hit with this kind of thing all the time, all over the place. So you, you were talking about it, or teasing it earlier, Dale. Um, what is the difference between being informed and being educated? Educated is having facts behind It's having a foundation under your wall. Former is just you heard somebody's conclusion without knowing what the, what their facts were or how they got there. Right. When a, when a source of information, be it a magazine, commercial, documentary, etc., tells you what an authority believes, or or in some cases is being paid to, right, to say it, then you've been informed. Okay, I've got information. You gave me some information. Thanks. But when a source of information tells you the reasons on why that authority holds their particular view, then, then you've been educated. So it's a difference between what and why, as Dale said. So why does this distinction even matter? Because some people are qualified. Like, I would trust if Pastor Bob said, this Greek word means this, I'd be inclined to believe it. Yeah, I, I, I will say, don't lose your thought, I will say, um, if you've ever been sitting, this is one of Bob's Yoda gifts, right? Like you're, you're in a theological discussion and you got an idea and maybe it's different from his and he's giving you the walls that are holding up his roof and you're like, mm, I think you got termites in them walls, you know, like, and then the boy will just literally bust open the Greek and read it. And then you're just kind of like, okay, you know, like. <laughs> All right, you probably win, you know, like, anyways, yeah, keep going with that. The problem is, is I don't know if he won. Yeah. <laughs> he could be lying. He could say it says anything. But that person, especially a non-believer, who said, well, the Bible says this, and that means this. And it's like, well, the Greek means this. So, there could be a straw man hiding in that, right? Remember the straw man fallacy. Go ahead, keep going. But there, there are people who have authority on subjects who are worthy. That's right. To, and there are people, if they don't have that authority or they don't have the authority in that field, yeah. the doctor one of this kind of is, is teasing that out. You know, the, the doctor is a pediatrician and he's recommending toothpaste. Like, or if he's a doctor in civil engineering. All right, so let's peel some of that back. So the difference between being informed and educated and, and, and the distinction and why it matters is the same reason that assertion and argument matters, right? We can't know, it, it, we can't know if the reasons for holding a particular point of view are adequate um, unless we know what those reasons are. We got to get them on the table. Um, you know, that's what Bob does when he opens up the Greek. He's like, okay, I'm tired of trying to explain it to you. Let me just read it from the Greek. Like, here is literally what the word means. You can't wiggle out of that. Um, so, assertions inform, arguments educate. And, and we, as, as intellectually honest apologists, you know, the same way that we acknowledge all religions could be wrong, but logically speaking, they can't all be right. Um, we, we acknowledge that. Uh, 
But our, our job as apologists also is to articulate the arguments for our assertion and that, that Jesus is the only way so that others can consider him. There are, there are objective reasons that we believe that is true. It's not just because we feel it or because we experienced a, a burning in our bosom or there's, there's more to it than that. But we're, we're open to, to all the possibilities. We're, we're just searching for the one that, that makes the most sense. Christianity is a reasonable and rational worldview that resonates with our deepest intuitions about reality when understood in its proper context. But we're, our aim is to be intellectually honest. So information and assertions aren't always that helpful. Not, not to us for shaping our own views and not for helping somebody untangle maybe some, some bad thinking. Don't spend too much time engaging in somebody's opinion. You know, acknowledge it. Um, and, and then get into the arguments for it. And that's, that's where the discussion comes to life. So, are scholars, including scientists and theologians, ever wrong? Just, just like we were saying that, you know, we, we acknowledge all religions could be wrong, but they can't all be right. So, all scholars could be wrong, but they can't all be right because they have differing opinions. Did you, I think you touched on that, didn't you? You alluded to which one are you going to listen to, and you were saying something in that vein, were you not? Yeah. yeah. Um, so, are scholars ever wrong? And if so, what, what might be some of the contributing factors to, to an error in their, in their thinking, or their position, or their conclusion, or their roof? Sarah, were you going to say something? No? Candace, was that you? Their biases? Yeah. Their biases? Yeah, they, they're going to have, like we were saying about, um, you can't come to the public square and engage and leave your values and beliefs behind. It is impossible to do that. So the scientist or the theologian doesn't, doesn't escape that. But sometimes they've got reasons, they're just weak. They're just not good reasons. Um, or sometimes they have facts, but they're, you know, they're mistaken on the facts. Um, so th there can be cracks in the facade, so to speak. Now that doesn't that doesn't mean to James's point that they aren't in a good position to know exactly what it is that they're they're talking about but but the the point here on this road scholar is always seeking to discern between assertions and actual arguments so how do we determine if an authority has been compromised or if, or if they are um, subject to their own biases or weak reasons or or misplaced facts um, how do we determine if if an authority has been compromised Asking questions, basically never settling for the opinion, right? Why do you believe that? We're always asking for the reasons. And, and our aim there is to avoid the fallacy of expert witness. The, the aim is, is to prevent you from, from falling for that trap that just because this PhD said it, or um, who's the guy on the podcast? Al Mohler. Al Mohler is always pointing to the vague experts, that weigh in on something, you know, and, and we see it all the time. You'll be reading an expert and they'll just say, the experts say. It's like, which experts? They'll tell us what the experts say, but they don't tell us what makes them an expert or what their field of discipline is or whatever. They just say, the experts say. And that's just kind of supposed to settle it. Yet the Christian gets ridiculed when they say something along the lines of, well, the Bible says it and I believe it and that, so that settles it. Well, if we do that, we're foolish. But, but if we say, well, hold on, the expert said, and I'm just supposed to accept that? Well, yeah. <laughs> Man, this is really seems like a double standard. I think you got more faith than I do, but, but let's talk about some of that, right? 
Um, how should we consider whether or not we should believe a particular expert? Well, an expert may actually, to James's point, be in a position to know special facts and therefore there's nothing inherently wrong with, with appealing to authority. That's, that's, not, um, that's not foul play. That, that's not in uh, you know, a violation just because it's, um, uh, it's not out of bounds just because it's played or you know, it doesn't foul out just because it's, it's introduced so ever. But there, there is a right way and a, and a wrong way to appeal to authority. So. Satan also has his experts. <laughs> oh man, Mike says Satan also has his ex experts. Indeed. Lay that out for us. Well, it, it doesn't matter what we come up against uh, as far as religion goes. Satan is against him. And he has his people that will testify and generate arguments against whatever your argument is. Mm -hmm. That's always going to be the case. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the reasons why the natural man cannot understand the things of God. Amen. And so it takes a supernatural work in order to accomplish anything of spiritual value. Yep. And, and that's why, as a plug uh, for what we have, uh, it's so important for us to spend time in prayer as we prepare for our encounters, as we prepare. Yes. You know, Lord, lead me to somebody and help me to understand where they're coming from and share words of wisdom that your spirit can use. Yes, and that's a beautiful segue into, into what we're about to touch. So so anyways, Candace, Candace kind of nailed it. So even when an authority is in the unique position to render a judgment based on the facts, um, they're still subject to their own biases when inferring their, inferring their conclusion or their, their roof based on their reasons or their walls. So, so number one, if an authority's counsel is being guided by the special information they possess, they should be able to point to that information. Those are the reasons. Just ask for them. You know, they have an opinion. Okay, great. But if all, they, if all they've given you is the opinion, ask for the reasons, ask for the, the walls that support the, the roof or the conclusion. That's, that's number one. And, um, you know, uh, as a warning or a caution, sometimes authorities can give opinions on matters that are outside of their areas of expertise. Watch for that, too. Um, anyways, second, we should always be conscious of the fact that an authority's destination may be biased or predetermined by the worldview they start from. So we, we want to we never lose sight of these facts. It doesn't mean that because these possibilities exist that the authority is necessarily wrong. They, they, they may be in the right position and they may have the right conclusion, but if they're being intellectually honest, you should be able to have a good conversation with them about those reasons and you're, you're trying to get them onto the table but sometimes this this idea of, of inference or the conclusion that you land at based on the same evidence comes into play so here's tying into to what Mike was, was saying there I want us to be aware of, of two definitions of science. First, science as a methodology. So this is the most popular definition and it employs tools such as, well really the, the scientific method, right? Observation, experimentation, and testing. That's, that's typically what we think of when we think of science and, and assessing the material world around us using observation, experimentation, and, and testing. But also, there's science as a philosophy. So, so specifically, philosophical naturalism. Is anybody familiar with that term, philosophical naturalism? David, go ahead, tell us. It's that materialistic, uh, typically atheistic, <coughs> humanistic uh, worldview 
I can't see it, touch it. It doesn't exist, right? Yeah, so that's exactly right. All phenomena must be explained in terms of matter and energy governed by natural laws. That's philosophical naturalism. Basically, there, there's no room for God ever. I mean, even if you, even if you take the Bible, uh, well, and take God at his word in, in the Bible, he says he's spirit. Well... How do I test and observe that, right? That, that's getting into the realm of the supernatural. That, that doesn't fit uh, this, this definition of science, science as a philosophy. So specifically, philosoph philosophical naturalism is, is what we're touching on right now within, within this context. So what are the implications of, of those two definitions? Well, first of all, for an investigation of the natural world to qualify as science, it's got to comply with each of those. It has to have the right method. You've got to be using the scientific method. Um, th these are the reasons that you're, you're going to use to hold up whatever roof you decide to put on, on the house, but it's kind of the, the walls. But then the right philosophy, the only conclusions that can be accepted as scientific are those that are consistent with a naturalistic, physicalistic, physicalistic or materialistic view of the world. That's, that's all that's permitted. If you arrive at a conclusion outside of that, well, it can't be a scientific conclusion. It's eliminated, right? And this is where the game is played. Um, so, usually these two requirements aren't necessarily in conflict. Like, it, you know, these, uh, these exist for a reason. They, they do provide some guardrails. Good methods produce answers in accord with a matter in motion governed by natural law. Okay, fine. We, you know, there are certain things. You know, gravity, we should be able to test that. And, 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 and that's a repeatable observation. So, okay, we can infer some things about, about that natural law, about gravity. But, but can anybody think of an instance where there, there might be a legitimate conflict between these two definitions? Where, where, would, where might a rub lie or exist or live? What about the origin of life? Right. Uh, what about all the all the incredible biological diversity of the of the living world that kind of defies naturalistic explanations? These things are out there, right? Does anybody know what intelligent design is? Yeah, Marsha. God is the designer. Yeah. So when we observe creation, right, we see an element of design. It's, it's, it's visible. We, and, and again, this is one of those intelligent designs. This would fall into maybe the classical apologetics category. Uh, we could take uh, you know, a whole class or two on intelligent design, but, but Marsha summed it up. It, it's the idea that, that we see design in the world. And that infers something. You can, you can arrive at a conclusion based on what you're able to, to observe. So That means there must be a designer. Well, that would it would not logically follow, wouldn't it? That is the logical But now you're swerving into the supernatural, and now that option gets eliminated. It, we, we can't play that card. So th the theory has to be accepted. Well, can intelligent design, can the theory be accepted as scientific based upon these two faces of science, or these two definitions of science? Why or why not? That's, that's right where we were going, Mike. Um, and no, because at a minimum, it fails to meet the second definition of science, right? We, we can look at Darwinian evolution, and we can look at, and, and, and the 
the proponents of it, those that study it, and we can look at intelligent design. Both of them are using the same methods, the same scientific methods. Maybe not the, 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 the scientific method because some of this stuff isn't able to be observed and repeated because it was long ago, but there are, there are ways to assess things. Um, and, and the intelligent design folks aren't using any tools that the Darwinian evolutionists are using. They're, they're, they're playing from the same toolbox, or they're utilizing the same toolbox. But to Mike's point, they land in different places in terms of the conclusion. So when somebody says, oh, well, intelligent design isn't science, well, at first that appears to be an attack on the methodology, but over the last couple of decades, there is a mountain of evidence pointing towards a designer. Academia may be trying to suppress it, but it exists. The studies are out there. There are questions that science can't seem to answer, right? That's, that's, a, that's a problem. But, but the proponents of ID are using the same methodologies as the proponents of Darwinian evolution. So the issue is not faith versus evidence, but evidence versus consensus. A majority of people, maybe, or at least those that are published in such matters, uh, land on the other side of the fence. So if you, if you count up all the scholars and there's more of this than that, and these are all the experts, well then they must be right, is, is kind of the idea. Mike, what were you going to say? I was just going to say it's more like along the lines of faith versus faith. And yeah. they believe what they believe because that's what they want to believe, not because of what the evidence shows. Yeah, and is it, is it Geisler? Who's got the book, uh, uh, I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an, uh, an Atheist? Yeah. Is that Geisler? Yeah, a great book if you haven't read it. Something Greg brought up previously, um, and I'm paraphrasing, but consensus, consensus doesn't make truth. If you have that, then slavery was actually okay exactly. in the 18th century. And all this thing is actually okay because everyone agreed with it, mm -hmm. which they can't argue against if you have a, a Darwinian view of morality. It's just, oh, whatever's you know, right at the time is right. So slavery was actually right. Not that they weren't enlightened, it was actually morally right. And you, you can't, you can't, well, I think you said something like, you, know, you can't uh, find truth by catching noses or something like that. Like, you, you can't say, oh, the more people believe this, this is true. Right. Just what's probably true. And you know, it's, yeah, you can look at science even. Like, look, at, oh. look at James weaving them tactics together. <laughs> Good job, man, you're doing it. Uh, so at first blush, it seems as if Darwinianism is about scientific facts, but when facts suggest intelligent design, the second definition of science is immediately played. Right? So when, you, when they say, well, no, that, you know, that, that, that isn't science for these reasons, and you, say, and you actually show, you give the reasons why, why it is, oh, well, your conclusion falls outside of, of a definition of science. So it's, it's still wrong. Right? Even if you're showing them that, hey, we qualify on that first definition, they still eliminate you on the second definition. And, and Greg calls that a sleight of hand. So I, I felt that was the most confusing part of the chapter. You've got to watch out for that sleight of hand. And, and that's, that's the currency that they're trading with or, or, or the, the definition that they're, they're bouncing back and forth between to kind of keep you at bay in terms of anything supernatural cannot be allowed into the conversation. It is not scientific because they have a prior biased commitment to uh, philosophical naturalism. And there was a, uh, a quote, page 207. I'll just read this real quick. Um, uh, 
leading up to it here, it says, clearly the materialist paradigm is paramount and everything must be done to save it. Harvard genetics professor Richard uh, Lewalton was amazingly candid about this fact. In the New York Review of Books, he made this stunning admission. Our willingness to accept scientific claims that are against common sense is the key to understanding to an understanding of the real struggle between science and the supernatural. We take the side of science in spite of the patent absurdity of some of its constructs, in spite of the tolerance of the scientific community for unsubstantiated just-so stories. Because we have a prior commitment, a commitment to materialism, it is not that the methods and institutions of science somehow compel us to accept material explanations of the phenomenal world, but on the contrary, that we are forced by our a prior adherence to material just means it doesn't need to be explained or, or argued. It's, it's just basically uh, assumed. If, if somebody says, you know, the color of the sky is, is blue, that's, you, you can kind of take that um, a priori. It's, it's, it's evident prior to any explanation. Sorry, not all, not all that is in the quote. Anyways, adherence to material causes to create an apparatus of investigation and a set of concepts that produce material explanations, no matter how counterintuitive, no matter how mystifying to the uninitiated. Moreover, that materialism is absolute, for we cannot allow a divine foot in the door. All right, so that's somebody just candidly acknowledging this issue. We, 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 just, we just won't allow it. Even when the evidence leads that way, we try to find another path. That's our commitment. And, and, and it's made prior to, we even, prior to us even engaging in our methodology is the philosophical assumptions. It's not just anybody. It's a Harvard genetics <coughs> professor. So want to talk experts? Right. Okay. Yeah, that, exactly right. That is an authority in the field that's in a position to know and is saying out loud in print, eh, we don't really play fair, but that's the way it is. Appreciate the honesty. Yeah, thanks for the honesty. At the same time, we're we're kind of we're similar in a lot of ways. Yes, we are. Because if someone says this this new scientific discovery proves evolution, we're not going to say, "Oh, you got us." Right. We're, we are also yes. We are a God. The Bible is true. Christians bring their bias to the table too. Right. Just Ironically, though, our biases don't eliminate potential options. We're, we're so much more wide open to the natural and the supernatural to where one says, eh, half of this is off the table. So James is absolutely right. As Christians, we bring our own biases to the table, but they actually, our biases actually make us more open-minded. Um, anyways, so in summary, whether an alleged expert is offering facts or judgments, always ask for an accounting. How did they come to this conclusion, the roof, and what are the specific facts or reasons, the walls, that inform the conclusions? Uh, a, a quote from Norm Geisler here. All appeals to authority ultimately rest on the evidence that the authority has. The letters after his name don't mean a thing without the evidence to back up his position. Norm Geisler. So don't be shaken by academic appeals. What an expert believes is not as important as why he believes it. And James has been hanging out with me for long enough to know that's what I'm all about. Not just what you believe, that's fine. But why do you believe it? That's what I'm interested in talking about. And my passion for, for other believers is, is, is to help them know why they believe what they believe, not just what they believe. Yes, we need doctrine and theology, yes. But we also need to be able to articulate why we hold those views. Here's our roof, but here's why our walls are solid. 
David, you want to uh, give us some personal testimony, evangelism? Uh, He refers to uh, this book in the uh, chapter we uh, just read, uh, Jesus Under Fire. Um, When we uh, go anywhere, if I can find a uh, used bookstore or anything like that, and I go, uh, this was uh, from Thrift Books, $1.99. And from the size of the print, I can see why. So, um, uh, where do we start studying Jesus? Who is Jesus? An introduction to Jesus studies. Um, (laughs) The words of Jesus in the Gospels, is it live, jive, or just memorics? Um, What did Jesus do? Did Jesus perform miracles? Did Jesus rise from the dead? I'm going to refer to that in just a minute. Is Jesus the only way? And Jesus outside the New Testament. I think there's like 38 references to Jesus outside the Bible uh, from Jewish people who did not believe Jesus was the Messiah, uh, from Romans and from Greeks. And there's like 38 uh, references. So those who say Jesus never existed, well, you better go tell those Jews, Romans, and Greeks that they were all messed up. Uh, I was talking uh, with uh, uh, a friend of one of our boys and um, we got into a conversation uh, first of all about um, evolution and uh, creationism and um, I I knew basically where he was coming from uh, and and suddenly switched it to uh, the resurrection people can't rise from the dead so now I know he's a materialistic naturalistic uh, no miracles please so I uh, I said before I uh, give you what I would consider evidence uh, uh, for that um, what brought you to that conclusion that there are no miracles that can't see it, touch it kind of approach Um, I said uh, well that's interesting I I I can't touch my uh, mind and you open up you know somebody's skull you can't see their mind you see the brain Uh, you can't really see emotions you see the effects of emotions Um, so it seems like there's some things you can't see or touch Um, but I said um, Actually, where you're coming from is similar to something that um, happened uh, a few years ago. Um, I was on a uh, jury, Clark County here, and uh, it was for a a trial uh, for a uh, rape. And uh, I said, you know, it was interesting um, being being asked to, to be on the jury. So there's a number of us and they call you up, sit you in there, and defense asks you some uh, questions and prosecution does to choose whether you're going to be on the jury or not. Um, so um, I said, that as the case is uh, proceeding, um, I said it was becoming pretty obvious this guy was uh, guilty. And um, so 
I said to uh, this person, now if, if you were going to be on the jury, I said, um, they're going to ask you, do you have any particular view of women? <laughs> and um, um, when it comes to sexual encounters. And so at, at the end, we're supposed to be deliberating on the Friday and uh, we're asked to stay in the uh, jury room and uh, two hours pass and they keep coming to uh, almost, almost, almost and finally uh, defense and prosecutor come in and say um, uh, sorry for the uh, delay but um, he was being charged first degree rape. Uh, he accepted uh, second degree rape. So um, prosecution said we were willing to accept that uh, because now he will be on the uh, sexual predator uh, list which is what we wanted and he's also going to serve time. Not as much as we would have liked because we believe it was definitely first degree but we wanted to get him and we never know how a jury is going to respond so the uh, uh, defense attorney uh, thanked us for uh, doing our civic duty and then started arguing the case for his, <laughs> his uh, client being innocent <laughs> and uh, I, uh, I, I'm not into uh, arguments, I'm into, drop the ments, I'm into arguing. So, um, I, right here, right here. Uh, yeah, I said, so I guess I'm, I'm not quite clear here. Um, you, you're saying he's innocent, but you allowed him to take um, a, a charge of second degree even though you've been arguing that he wasn't guilty first degree and now you're still arguing he's not guilty second degree uh, but you allowed him to to do that. I, I guess I it, I get the impression he's been found guilty and he's pleaded guilty and the defense lawyer looked at me well uh, thank you for your time and uh, so the prosecutor then said to us, you know, we, we never know how your uh, jury is going to respond. He said, if I could just ask you, uh, did anybody think, j just so I can understand uh, how we did in prosecuting this, uh, did anybody think he was innocent? And uh, two older guys who were kind of at the back both put their hands up. And uh, so afterwards, I specifically went to them uh, and said, um, you know, from the evidence, if, um, if we got to deliberate, uh, we would have brought out, what, based on that, I'm, I'm kind of interested why you thought he was innocent. And <laughs> Well, you know, the way women dress, it's provocative, and the, the way women give you the eye, and the way women smile, and, you know, women just ask for it. 
Well, there's a lot of evidence for you, right? What, what, what were they saying? A priori Men, it's not a man's fault, it's the woman's fault. Doesn't matter about that evidence, we know it's a woman's fault right out the door. So um, I said now to the person I was talking to, uh, Nick, um, you're the two men in the back of the room. You already have a conclusion that there is no supernatural. There are no miracles. So when I share with you the evidence, it's going to do this, right? Because you, you can't believe it. And I said, just, just hear the word I said. You can't believe it. It's a faith issue. You believe, not based on evidence, you believe there is no supernatural. So there are no miracles. So there is no God not based on any evidence whatsoever, um, you've already made up your mind. So let me give you the evidence for the resurrection and then you tell me, you answer that for me without throwing out miracles, that resurrections can't happen. Let me give you the evidence and then you, you, you tell me. And I want you to be honest. And when, when I gave him the evidence, he uh, said, huh. And he <laughs> it was interesting. Um, you, usually once I get talking, it's hard to stop. So for this pause to be happening, I thought, no, I've got, I've got to wait, David. Shut yeah. <laughs> so um, finally, when, when you're in a, a conversation like that, any kind of pause just seems exaggerated. And... Um, I think God does that for people like us, for, for, <laughs> for our benefit. Um, and he said, well, it, it does, sell, does sound pretty compelling, doesn't it? I said, yeah, it got me to, to believe it's true. And uh, I said, so you're going to think about it, right? You're going to throw out your, hold on to your belief, put it on the side for uh, a week or two and think about what we just talked about, about your presupposition. By the way, we're, we're all presuppositionalists. Everybody is a presuppositionalist. They might not understand why they're a presupposition, but, and that's part of our job to help, like I did with Nick, to let him see his presupposition is there's no supernatural so that gets rid of God and therefore there's no miracles so all that stuff in the Bible has got to be myth and fable it was um, we've had a couple of interesting conversations uh, since well, one of the things that was uh, mentioned was uh, people who want you to uh, consider uh, more and more and more of uh, their experts. Uh, one of our boys is having a tough time with the faith right now and um, recently moved to uh, Colorado so it's a little tougher but he was visiting a few months ago and we went out for uh, coffee and um, 
he uh, wanted to argue about the the resurrection. He'd been listening to uh, to somebody, and in First uh, Corinthians 15, I'd, uh, pointed out a couple of things. So. Um, uh, pulled out the uh, I, I brought my Bible with me knowing uh, there was a good chance we were going to have a, this kind of conversation and so we turned to 1 Corinthians 15 and I said well it sure sounds like uh, this wasn't written uh, later like uh, the person that you've been listening to uh, said and uh, because Paul says here uh, look, that there's uh, some have died, but uh, most of them are still alive. Go talk to them. Go see the eyewitnesses, though, and see what they say, and see if it sounds reasonable to you. See if it sounds like something they're making up. See if it sounds like uh, they uh, wrote a book and have appeared on you know the different TV sh uh, shows, and they've been making a lot of money by making this up. See, see if it's the real deal, and. Um, and there was a, uh, another point in there uh, as well, I forget exactly what that was, Went, answered that as well, uh, that this uh, expert he was trying to bring to the table, um, and he said, well, are, are you open? See, it's that, let, 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 how many experts can I get in front of you uh, to get you to rethink and rattle your cage? And uh, I said to him, you know, Trevor, you can bring all the experts uh, you want. And this one we were just looking in, this, this book, this is the expert. He was there, he saw it all, you and I didn't, and whatever expert you bring wasn't there. But the expert who knows, who wrote this, who knows how it all happened because he did it, uh, I'm going to take this expert over any expert uh, you want to bring. Trevor, you were raised on this. You know uh, that, this is, that this is the truth. Why keep running after people who um, don't want to believe uh, that there's a God? Who, who don't want to uh, believe this way but want to believe that way. You, you just believe in something different. It, it's not science, it's uh, a belief system. And um, who's the one that does uh, cross-examined? Uh, I'm familiar with it, I don't know who does it. I've lost his, his name's not coming. I think he's the one that came up with um, I don't have enough faith to be a, an atheist. I said, because Trevor, it, it's a belief system. It's, uh, and you want to check out uh, the evidence uh, for it. So when somebody says science has proved there is no God, what brought you to that conclusion? Where, where's the evidence? What evidence? What, is, what science has proved? Uh, and that's that philosophical, naturalistic, humanistic uh, approach. Frank Turk. Yeah, Frank Turk. I think it was him that came up, I think, because he's the one that presents those on uh, university campuses, secular universities, and um, you can find him uh, 
online on uh, on uh, YouTube, and you can see those presentations. And he does a really good job. Yeah, you'll see Frank's name. Uh, in fact, is he uh, is he one of the people that endorsed? Is he on the back of the tactics book? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and and I don't have enough faith to be an atheist is definitely Geisler. Okay. So if you guys haven't read that, it's a good one. Okay. Anyway. Trevor was struggling with the consequences of believing. He doesn't yeah. believe because yeah. the consequences. Which is good for them to come for cost because Jesus yeah. said to come for cost. Yeah. And to a certain extent, someone comes for cost and says it's not worth it. Mm -hmm. Well, it actually comes from uh, his best friend a uh, number of years ago. Um, is a homosexual and the thought since obviously he his best friend he really likes him a lot um, kind nice helpful uh, all the things you'd want a Christian to be um, the fact that uh, he's not with God so he's going to be away from God um, hell uh, well, actually, Lake of Fire, then um, that, that shook him to his uh, foundation. Um, so that's what started him on. And it's almost like, let me try and find some reason uh, to believe he's not going to the Lake of Fire. I think that's where what's taken him down this course. But he's, uh, he's open. He likes coffee, so he's open. Okay. Thank you, David. Um, uh, does anybody have, for David or myself, just any questions about World Scholar? Or, you know, we didn't we didn't lay the whole thing out, but I, I just try to touch on what I thought were some of the fundamental principles or the undergirding foundation there to that to that tactic. But um, was there was there anything anybody was hoping to have gotten out of class or gotten explained about the chapter that we didn't touch on? If you're talking to uh, somebody with that um, naturally, that philosophical science, uh, that naturalistic, there can't be miracles, um, try and find a, 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 an illustration like I used from being on a, a trial. Um, that the presupposition was the guy's obviously innocent because it's always a woman's fault. Once you come in, you're not coming in to listen anymore to the evidence. Uh, if you can find, uh, feel free to use the example. Uh, if you can think of uh, something else to, uh, to use, um, it brings it to light real fast uh, for them. Um, what, uh, what's going on? Then you don't keep it just in the ethereal uh, somewhere. Give them a, a real example. Any, anybody else? One of the things that always called me is they, they try to find Jesus' bones. Oh, his bones? Yeah. Yeah. Like he never ascended fully. Uh -huh. You know, and that's been... Yeah. You know, mm -hmm. just... Yeah. yeah. Do you not want to believe... There to be a yeah. bones or something laying around. Well, that has yeah. to be because well, somebody rising from the dead is supernatural. So that I need a uh, naturalistic right. explanation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, I can't you know I can't solve yeah. this this problem. The
the reason I read those, I still read those uh, articles, is have they come up with something new that I need to think about and uh, be ready in case somebody else has read that article and bring it up and I've not thought about it and don't get... Uh, right. Uh, so uh, had what I've found is over time they don't, but they get better at whatever skin they put on it. Mm -hmm. You know, it's like, well, here, let me, well, put this wrapper on it. Well, it's the same old fundamental argument. You know, mm -hmm. that hasn't changed. But they're they're approaching it from a different angle. And, and David's right. Sometimes, if you haven't heard the new presentation of a classic argument, you can be like, ooh, ooh, that sounds pretty good on the surface. I don't even think yeah. about that. But, then you've got to think. My experience has been they always collapse. Yeah, you've got to think then, what was that classic argument yeah, that yeah, they've right. rewrote? And I went to think through that rather than uh, deal with them. Yeah. Mike, what so. was that word? Uh -huh. I read on the internet before I prayed that they found the tomb from Jesus. Oh, did they? Yeah. And they based their evidence on the fact that Mary's name was also in this tomb. So it has to be, we only know of one Jesus. Yeah. Even though we can't keep track of all the Marys in the Gospels. <laughs> Which Mary was that again? Yeah. That's, that's great. Yeah. Father, thank you so much.